Welcome to the Boonville Worship Center Sermon Podcast. Father, we love you. We thank you for time together in your word and in your presence, and you're so good to us. We thank you for healthy marriages. We thank you for speaking into us, Lord, and just equipping us and strengthening us with what we need, God, to uh, allow our marriages to line up the way that you intended for them to be, God. We thank you for that. I just pray that you move on every heart that's here, God, every couple, every individual, Lord. Uh, Let them see what you're capable of doing in their individual lives and in their marriage, God, and just the life that you have planned for them in that. We pray for your anointing. Holy Spirit, anoint this place. Anoint our hearts. Anoint your word as it's going forth. Let it pierce our hearts. Let it work in us. Let it form us for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Last week, I finished with kind of speaking on a fall marriage, and I went through a little bit quickly, but I'm just going to do a quick review, and then we're going to kind of step into something new tonight. And so we've talked about the five essential aspects of marriage, being fully committed, knowing that we're in covenant, um, being united, uh, what it looks like to live as one flesh, um, intimacy, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, um, purposeful uh, in serving one another, and then complementary uh, in how God designed for us to make each other better. So those those kind of those five things are very critical and essential in how God designed our marriage. Um, and then we talked about adapting to change and difficulties in life. Uh, and how the health of our marriage will be determined by our response to them. So there's stuff that happens in all of us. When we get older, so our bodies change. We get good moods, bad new, uh, bad moods. Uh, we have stuff happen, sometimes tragedies. or this. So there's a lot of stuff in life that happens in our lives that then impacts and can make an impact on our relationship with one another. And so what I want you to know about that is, is that those things don't have to impact our marriage. What impacts the marriage is our response to them because life is going to happen. So we want to have things in place where our response is right, where we actually get closer together as husband and wife during those times of difficulties and not not more distance from one another. Amen? And then you guys have heard this over and over the last two weeks, but our response consists of our emotions, our attitudes, and our actions. So we've talked about those three things in what they look like in each of the four seasons, okay? Um, And then we talked about the four seasons of marriage. So I'm just going to hit these real quick, um, but but, um, just in a broad scale, a spring marriage... Uh, a lot of times, newlyweds, uh, when we're first married, we're in the spring season, uh, and or if we've been married for a while, and we've gone through something hard, and then made it through that, and now we kind of got this fresh life and fresh excitement, whatever, you know, you think of spring, you think of things popping up out of the ground. So that's what that spring season of marriage looks like. So there's excitement, it's hopeful, we have positive attitudes, there's new life, we're planning things together, we're looking ahead to the future, 
we're nurturing everything, uh, we're investing into our marriage, we're sowing into it, and we're looking forward to what's ahead, okay? So that's kind of a broad look at that, at, at that spring place in our relationship. And then when you look at summer, summer then, we are now stepping into and experiencing what we've labored at in springtime, what we've planted, what we've worked on, what we've watered. Now those things are growing and they're flourishing. And summer is where we want to be at, right? We want to, we want to kind of linger in between spring and summer, but summer is where we want to be at. It's fun. Uh, we feel satisfied in the summer season of marriage. Uh, we feel a strong connection in the summer season of marriage. There's trust. We feel secure. There's commitment to growth. We're enjoying what we nurtured in the spring. There's good, healthy communication, right? So these are all things now that we're, that we're receiving and enjoying in the summer season. Last week, I ended pretty quickly with talking about this fall season of marriage. And so in the fall, something's happening. Uh, so look at it like this. In the fall, everything's beautiful on the outside, but we know what's coming, right? So it looks beautiful. All the leaves, they're all these beautiful colors, but we know it's not going to be long. Something's changing, and those things are going to brown, and they're going to fall off the leaves. So, so fall is a lot of times that's in the season of our marriage where there's apprehension. We know things are off a little bit. There's some insecurity, maybe a little bit of fear. We're starting to get frustrated with each other, uh, beginning to kind of feel disconnected. We're discouraged. Um, typically, when, when if you get into that fall season, you've already entered into a lot of neglect with one another, Okay. We've stopped giving each other what they need and doing the things we need to do. Uh, so there's a lot of neglect in, 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 the, in that fall season. And um, so when I think of the fall season, what I want you to remember about that, these things aren't bad. What I'm trying to do is identify the things that we go through in our marriages so that we don't let them go further when they're not supposed We want to maintain spring and summer. So fall, I feel like, is something that everyone goes through because life just gets hard. So when we feel fall, what fall should always be is a warning because in the natural, in the natural, we love fall. But you know what's coming after fall. It's going to get cold. Everything's going to die. It's going to freeze, right? And so, so fall to me, when we start to feel some of these things, that's our warning sign of we need to do something here. That should then push us to get into spring and start doing what we need to do to end back up in summer. So just a little bit. And then winter time, um, winter's just cold. People are hurt. They're angry. They feel rejected. They're lonely. Uh, a lot of times if they don't do what they need to do in fall, that will put them back in summer or spring. A lot of times people in the winter, they feel hopeless. We've done this over and over. We keep going through these cycles. It feels like it's never going to end. And people get in a place in their marriage where it can feel hopeless um, and, and hope, hopeless that, that change will happen. They are often critical. They withdraw from one another and they withhold affection from each other. And so these are kind of the four seasons. If you missed any of them, 
um, we spent a lot of time breaking each of them down, so you can go back and listen online. But, but this is what I want you to grasp a hold of, and then we're going to move into a different thing tonight. But our emotions, attitudes, and actions determine what season that we're in. Those three things will always determine where we're at and where we're going. So they're so critical for us to understand um, those three things aspects in the different seasons okay all right now i want to say this just real quick but it only takes one spouse to lead a marriage into fall and winter it takes one spouse to make bad decisions get their emotions their attitudes and actions wrong that'll lead someone into a fall or winter season but it takes both spouses to lead marriage into spring and summer Okay, now it can start with one, and we'll talk about that later. Uh, it starts with one because I, I believe that if we start doing what we need to do and we have the right emotions and the right attitude and right actions, that it will impact our spouse to then begin to do those things as well. And then all of a sudden, both of us can start doing it, and it'll lead us into these healthier seasons of our marriage. All right, so those are the four seasons. Bless the Lord. I want to take tonight. And I want to take next Wednesday, and I'm going to give you guys some real practical things. Um, I'm going to talk about seven actions, um, actions, methods, things to do. I don't care how you label them, but I think on your, on your notes, it's seven actions to enhance, enhance the quality of your marriage. Okay, so we're just going to talk about these things that are, I feel like are so so important. So if you're in the if you're in the spring or summer season of marriage, these things that I'm about to share with you will help keep your marriage alive and growing and maintain those healthy seasons. If you're in the fall or the winter season of marriage, these actions will help move you towards either spring or summer. So they're vital no matter where we're at. So we need to know these things. Okay. And so let me just, if you're taking notes, this would be a good thing to write down. But marriages either grow or they regress. They either grow or they regress. They never stand still. No matter how long that we've been married, whether it's a year, whether it's 20, whether it's 30 or 40 years, marriages, marriage will either grow or they'll regress, but they never stand still. All determined, again, by our, by our emotions, by our attitudes, and our actions, okay? So we're either, we're doing one of two things in our marriage. We're either starving it or we're feeding it, Okay? We're either starving it or we're feeding it. Um, everything living has to be fed, nurtured, and protected. Okay? So, seven, seven actions to enhance the quality of your marriage. We're going to talk about three, maybe four tonight, and then we'll finish next week. But the first one that I want to talk about is to deal with past hurts and failures. A lot of people fail to do this properly, and, and some of us have, and I think we can all testify that things don't go away, not dealt with, right? They'll linger, they'll linger in your heart, they'll end up coming up and out somewhere. And so I feel like the first thing, and I kind of feel like I, I'm, I'm, I'm hitting this one as the first one, but I think a lot of these other seven things I'm going to share need to, need to be happening along with this 
together because if not, you're going to go to do this and it's not going to be the, the right um, atmosphere to be able to do this. Okay, so I share this with you, but it needs to be linked together with these other six actions. But this is vital that we learn to do this. Uh, deal with past hurts and failures. So we have to deal with the past before we can put it behind us. Otherwise, again, it's going to keep pop popping up. So dealing with, fast, with past failures involves three steps. It involves identifying them. So we need to recognize what we did, what they did, what happened. We've got to identify it. We've got to confess it and repent of it, and then we've got to forgive. And so, so this is where we mess up, because we can do that easily for our spouse, right? We can easily identify for them where they failed, where they made a mistake, or this or that. But I want to back this up, because we're going to do this in a healthy way. I want to say this step of dealing with past hurts and failures, that it begins with you. It begins with each of you individually in your hearts because most of us, again, can identify with, our, with our, our spouse's failures more easily than we can our own. So start where Jesus told you to start. When you're upset with your spouse, start where Jesus told you to, spout, to start at. Matthew 7, 3. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but not consider the plank in your own eye? And maybe they did something completely wrong, or whatever they be, or, you know, they're neglecting, blah, blah, blah. But you still always want to start with you. Where are you at, right? Adam, Adam blamed Eve, and Eve blamed the serpent. So if we're going to deal with past failures, we got to identify them and be willing to accept responsibility for our own, our own wrong, not only just wrong behavior, but sometimes it's just lack of behavior, lack of doing the things that we should be doing, okay? So I think I just want to make this clear. Marriage is a two-way street, and a lot of times we're looking one way, and we need to be looking both ways. That's what I'm saying. If you want to get it right and you want to be healthy as you grow and mature, you've got to learn to look both ways. And when you do that, you've got to look your way first. So you look your way first, okay? What's in my heart? What's my heart posture? What's my, what's my emotions? What's my attitude and what's my actions? And then you can look out from there. So here, here's the process. I'm going to give this to you. You often don't have to do this over little things. But, you know, if there's something that you know that keeps lingering, something that keeps being brought up in the next conflict, in the next conflict or whatever, this is the route you want to take. And this is so important and it's so difficult. It's why a lot of people don't overcome this stuff because they're not willing to go through the hard things. Two things to remember. Never stop doing the little things and never stop doing the hard things. Those two things right there will make a healthy marriage. Start, keep doing the little things that make a difference in each other's lives and never stop or never not be willing to do the hard things. Okay, so here's the process. You guys ready? We're going we're gonna to move on. So f five things, I think, maybe four or five, can't remember. But number one, so we're talking about the process of overcoming conflict. So number one, each spouse should take a couple hours, several hours, maybe an afternoon, evening, whatever. But you need to take at least a couple hours where it's uninterrupted time, just you and the Lord. Ask the Lord to show you where you've failed. 
It's going to take the attention off of everything you're angry about, how they're not giving you what you need, what they did wrong, whatever it may be. But you go and you get alone with the Lord and you say, Lord, show me where I've failed or where I've neglected my spouse, right? It's, it's Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Lord, search me, O God, and know my heart and see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me, God, lead me in the way of everlasting. So I know this is tough. Because a lot of times our spouse, Lori is always, she's always the one that's doing wrong stuff. I'm just telling you right now, it's her 99.9% of the time. But yet if I get alone with the Lord, right, then I'm going to find, okay, Scott, you brought some of this stuff on. So we always want to look back. So get alone with the Lord. Spend that time. God, search my heart. Let me see what's in me. Where, where am I lacking? Where am I neglecting? Where have I failed, right? And ask God to bring to mind what he wants you to see. It's humbling. It's powerful. And it'll change your life if you learn to do that. By the way, what I'm giving you isn't specific just to marriage. Most relationships and family, in church and everything, if we would do this, it would, cha- it would change it. It would, okay? But we mainly just want people to know how wrong they are. But. So do this and write it down. Everybody good? You good? Okay, second thing then, we're going to make a list because we're going to heal. So now we're going to make a list of how, how you've been hurt by your spouse. What are you carrying that you can't get over? What's been bothering you that just, you know, it just keeps, it keeps resurfacing. And you're going, to make, you're going to make that list then. You're going to share these together. Make that list of what you need to share with your spouse that, 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 is, that is still hurting you. And again, here, here's the lens that you're doing this through. The purpose is not to condemn but to reveal your feelings to one another i'm not i'm not i'm not looking to win because you got to realize we're one flesh that's biblical right we're all one so i'm not doing this to prove to them how wrong they are and how right i am i'm not doing this to win because if we both don't win then we both lose right right we both lose. So we're doing this with a mindset to not condemn, but to reveal, reveal our feelings one, one to another, okay? So that's the second thing. So we've gotten alone with the Lord. We've asked God, Lord, where am I at in this thing? What do you need to show to me? And then we've made an honest list for healing of the hurt that we have from our spouse. We're going to share with them. And then so the third thing is now you're going to share both lists with one another. How many feel like you could do that? (laughs) I mean, I feel like Lori and I could now. There's been times in our marriage, I'm like, if we did this, I'm pretty sure there'd be some stuff thrown. (laughs) But this is where we should be at, right? So now we're going to come together because both of us want the same thing. We're going to do the, uh, we're going to be doing the other six things that I'm going to be sharing with you tonight and tomorrow. That's going to create this atmosphere where we can do this rightly. But now we're going to come together. We're going to sit down as husband and wife. The kids are going to be somewhere if we have kids where we're fully just have each other's attention. And now we're going to share our list. This is what the Lord has shown me where I've been failing you in our marriage. And as much as this might hurt, Honey, this is something that, that, that I've been carrying that you've done that I can't get rid of. And so we're doing this again, and, and now we're sharing them. And what I would say about that is don't, don't be defensive. 
right? Like one thing that I tell people all the time is how people feel is real, whether it's right or wrong. So we need to always validate the feeling. That, that will disarm you from being defensive. When we were early on in our marriage and Lori would share something, and I'm like, well, that's just silly. I didn't do that. I didn't intend to do that. You're just being oversensitive, this or that. And then I just added to her hurt and her pain, right? So when I matured and you begin to love each other and grow, then you realize, hey, how she feels is the only thing that matters. If something's hurting her, then it should hurt me, Right? So we share these things with one another. We're not defensive, and we listen. We listen to hear and understand our spouse, okay? Okay. The fourth thing is then is confession. So now we've shared our own failures and mistakes, and we've shared with each other what we need to forgive one another for and where we've been hurt. The fourth thing is then we're going to do confession and repentance. First thing, we're going to confess to God, and then we're going we're gonna to ask, ask repentance, and then we're going to do that with one another. We're going to confess, I was wrong in this. I'm sorry this hurt you. I'm sorry. And we're going to repent and, and again ask forgiveness. So acknowledge, acknowledge where you were wrong and that you're sorry for how you've hurt one another. Amen. And the key, here's a key in this because we're so different. Men and women are so different, but here's a key in this. You, if you're at stage four in this process, you have made yourself completely vulnerable. Both of you guys have, you've shared your heart, your feelings, everything, one another. Don't judge one another's sincerity. When you're at this place, don't judge one another's sincerity. Don't expect them to exhibit the same body language as you do. You might be really emotional, and you might be crying, and they might just be sitting there just kind of solemn and quiet. And you think, well, how come you're not crying? Well, we all respond differently. So don't, don't, don't let yourself go there in, in, in that realm, okay? And then the fifth thing is, and this is where we struggle at in life, is forgiveness. So we've walked through this process. I'm giving you guys some valuable things tonight of how to overcome some of these difficult things. And the fifth thing is forgiveness. There's no place in our life or marriage for unforgiveness, no matter what the act was, no matter what has been done. There's no place for unforgiveness, right? And then this is critical. Remember, forgiveness is not a feeling, Remember that forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a decision to lift the penalty for past failures and declare your spouse pardon. I'm deciding, I'm making this decision to lift this penalty off of what you've done. It means that you choose to no longer hold that failure or hurt against your spouse, right? It's um, 1 Corinthians 13, 5. I think I put that in your notes, but, but when you read through there, it says love keeps no records of wrongs. So if love doesn't keep any record of wrongs, then when we've overcome something and then we go through something else again, why do we keep reminding them of what they did a year ago or six months ago or five years ago or 10 years ago? Aren't you glad Jesus doesn't do that with you? Aren't you glad that he didn't keep a record of it? It's like what's in front of him right now, that's what he sees. Like, God, help us learn to do it. This is such a critical thing in marriage because we hold on to stuff and like we we like just keep that ammunition in case we need it in the future. But let me just tell you, um, once we once we've walked through this, we don't keep bringing up any past failures. Okay, so forgiveness. So those are the those are the five 
the five steps or the, the process that we need to have of fulfilling this first step of dealing with past failures and dealing with past hurts, okay? All right, so action number one, deal with past failures. So number two, choose a winning attitude. So we're going to talk a little bit about this one. So spring and summer marriages are created and sustained by positive attitudes. We walk through that. Fall and winter marriages are created or sustained by negative attitudes. So, so here's, a, here's something to write down. What, what we think largely influences what we do. A positive attitude won't choose you. You have to choose it. So we need to love our spouse, love our marriage, be hopeful no matter what we're going through, that we're choosing a positive attitude. And then in return, our actions greatly influence our emotions. So what we think influences what we do, then our actions influence our emotions. So if we can change our thinking, then we can change the season of our marriage. If you're in a fall season and, you know, you came out something good, you kind of overcome something, you went on a weekend getaway, you're lovebirds, now you're back home, now you're back to work, now the kids are there, now the debt is still there, everything is going on now, it seems like we're just cycling right back in and you're entering back into fall, whatever that it is. You're, you're thinking can always change the season of your marriage. So the most common mistake that couples make is allowing negative emotions to dictate their behavior, right? Which often ends up resulting in neglect. And as I taught last week, neglect is one of the number one killers of marriage. We get these, our emotions, our attitude's bad. I've drawn a line. I'm separated. This is her fault. This is, this is his fault. And we do all these different things. And then our attitude has us in a bad place. So the reality of it is, is, you know, when, like when we're in, we're in, when, when, when we're in a winter season and we're cold, that it's hard to admit that our attitude is part of the problem. Um, it's much easier to blame our spouse and justify our bad attitude because of what they're, what they're doing. This is critical for me. I feel like in, I feel like in marriage, we're going we're gonna to pretty much have spring seasons. I think we're going to have hopefully many summer seasons and hope we live there. I think we will always experience a part of the fall season, hopefully just the early beginning of fall, because we learn to recognize it the older that we get, right? And we recognize it. But I don't believe that any of us have to live or expect or just uh, um, accept that we're going to have winter seasons in our marriage which is why I'm giving this to you. I broke it down. You don't want to live in winter. Winter season is horrible. It's miserable. It's lonely. It's destructive. It's hurtful. We don't have to go there, but it is real. And a lot of people get there because they don't identify the seasons. They're not using these. They don't do these seven things that help keep them out of it. Okay. And so, um, we, we need to walk in this and let God help us. But negative attitudes lead to negative behavior. So changing your own, changing your own attitude can be a catalyst that, that, that again, sets, sets in motion a seasonal change in your marriage. Okay? So I want to give this to you. Um, these, these few things here about breaking the cycle of negativity. 
um, choosing a wing attitude, okay? So we're going to walk through this really quickly. Um, but number one is um, we have to acknowledge our own negative thinking, right? Kind of like, um, you know, I've, I've, I've done counseling for so many years, but kind of like, yep. I've got, a ne- I've got a negative attitude, and the reason I have a ne- negative attitude is he's sitting right next to me, right? <laughs> That's my problem. But as long as we rationalize our negative attitudes as legitimate because of what they did or didn't do, um, our attitude's never going to change, okay? So um, we've got to recognize that our own negative thinking has to change because our thinking guides our behavior, okay? So the first step of breaking the cycle of negativity is that you have to not acknowledge your own attitude, your own negative thinking, where your thinking is off, okay? Secondly is we need to identify, is to identify your spouse's positive characteristics, Amen. How many of you could make a long list of all of the weaknesses of your spouse? Most of us could, but you're not going to raise your hand because you're really smart right now. We could probably oftentimes make a list of all the things that they've done wrong and how different they are from us and their mistakes, make that a lot lot longer than the list of their strengths. So now we're going to acknowledge our own, our own negative attitude, our own negative thinking, and then we're going to identify our spouse's positive characteristics. We're going to identify their strengths. You already know what you're mad about, what you're waiting for them to change, why they're not like you, but now you're going to sit down and you're going to write this out. What what, what, what are they? Ask God to bring to your mind all the positive things about your spouse and make a list of it. It's amazing what he'll show you about your spouse if you'll ask him instead of trying to constantly remind him of everything that's wrong with your spouse, which we have a tendency to do sometimes. You guys good? All right? This is just good practical stuff, man. But, uh, so that's step number two. Step number three is to focus on these positive traits. Like this is what we focus on. We already know that, there, that there's weaknesses. We know maybe that they've done wrong. But I'm going to choose to have a positive attitude, and I'm going to choose to focus on their positive traits. I'm going to begin to see my spouse through these strengths, right? So go through that list. You made the list. Go through that list every day. Keep adding to it uh, as you see more. And then begin to thank God every day for your, pals- your spouse's strengths. It's powerful. And for your differences. God, thank you. Thank you, God, that Lori's so different from me. She relaxes me. I'm tense. I'm a tense guy. I'm a list maker. I'm detailed. I'm OCD. And Lori is so far on the other scale of that stuff. And I love that about her. I've learned, I've learned to look at her strengths and thank God for them. And somehow that has brought us, us in a middle ground to where we've, we've helped each other out in that. We'll be walking down the road. I'll, she'll be like, what are you talking? What are you saying? I'm like, I'm not saying anything. She says, yeah, you are. You're moving your hands. You're talking. I'm like, no, I'm not. She's like, you're thinking something in your mind. I'm like, no, I'm not. And I'm like, well, yes, I am. And she'll be like, and then she'll like grab my chin and she'll be like, Scott, look up. Just look up. Look around. All right? She's just like carefree. 
And I'm over here trying to like solve the whole world's problem in a two-mile walk around our circle. I can't even relax. I don't even see what's around me. If a car came, I'd probably get hit by it, right? And it's like, man, we need to learn. Like, I recognize that. I'm like, man, praise God for how she's made, amen? And then sometimes I can bring her out of la-la land and bring her in to focus on something. Like, we, do, we learn to do these things, two things together, and it's so powerful, but, but make this. And, and again, focus on the positive. Focus on the strengths of one another, and then begin to, begin to instead of in, in your prayer time, always being like, God, fix this, fix this, fix this in them, fix this in them. Um, begin to thank God for the strengths and the good things that you see in your spouse. It'll make a difference. You guys good? Number four, this is critical. This will change your thinking. Ask God to give you a biblical perspective of your spouse. Ask God to give you a biblical perspective of your, your spouse. Thank God. Just begin to thank God that your spouse is made in his image and that they're extremely valuable, that they belong to him. Here's a great view when you're thinking negatively about your spouse, you have a bad attitude, is your spouse belongs to him before they belong to you. So what you say and how you feel about them is directly impacting the father because they belong to him first. And it'll begin to affect things and how you and how you do things. So begin to thank God that your spouse is uniquely gifted by him. Begin to thank God that you have the opportunity to serve your spouse, even in your differences, and to help them grow into and accomplish all that he has for them. Amen. It's a biblical, got a biblical perspective of your role uh, in their life as their spouse. And it'll begin to shift things into you, man. It will. He'll begin to show you. You ask him, he'll show you, okay? So uh, ask God to give you a biblical perspective of your, of your spouse, and you're, the, you'll begin to uh, have a little different value of them as you begin to see how he values them, amen? And then the fifth thing in in doing this with our attitude is express. Learn to express your appreciation verbally to your spouse for the, for the positive things that you see in them. Uh, Pastor Jason spoke a couple Sundays ago on biblical encouragement. And man, if we're going to walk in biblical encouragement, it needs to start in our marriage before anywhere, right? Listen, let me just tell you... Um, your spouse should never wonder if there's anyone in your life that you honor or respect or love before them. They should always know that you're first. There should be no, no one in our life that we're upholding or lifting and encouraging any more or greater than we are our spouse. We're one. So express, express your appreciation verbally to your spouse for the positive things that you see in them. Use biblical encouragement. Uh, compliment them regularly. Um, a positive attitude expressed in positive affirmation tends to create a positive response. This is important. I'm going to say that again because some of you are like, you know what? I'm going to tell you what, Pastor. I'll do that when they deserve it. Come on, I'm just being real. Y'all know you felt that way. Some of you there right now, you need to step over that line right now, people. I ain't lying to you. <laughs> this is good. But you know what? A positive attitude, express, if you'll do this, uh, um, 
and, and positive affirmation tends to create a positive response by your spouse. Let me just drop this on you. It's hard to fight against love. It just is. When you just step in and, and even though maybe they're not acting the way they need to act or they're not doing what you need or this or that, man, when you just step into biblical love and you ask God his heart for them and you just step up and even in the midst of their failures or mistakes or, or, or neglect, if you, just, if you just abundantly pour the love of God on them and your love on them, man, you can't fight that. You can't fight that. It'll change things, I'm just telling you. So it's not, in, in doing this, this is important. This is important because some people might say, yeah, no, but so then am I, am I just supposed to just forget about anything that they're doing wrong or this or that and whatever? And that's not it because it's not, it's not avoiding or, or even neglecting their failures or weakness, right? You're doing that in step one of this process that I begin with. It's simply choosing to have a positive attitude and seeing your spouse through God's eyes and seeing your spouse through their strengths. Again, you don't really have an option because you went into covenant. So there's no plan B. There shouldn't be. There shouldn't be. Come on, do I have a witness? There shouldn't be. So we can either continue to do this or one of us can step up and say, you know what, I'm going to love you in such a way that it's just going to melt, it's going to melt your heart. Amen? So you do, we, we do the express your appreciation verbally to your spouse for the positive things that you see in them. Focus on those things. Let God take care of the rest. Once you do that and things begin to get healthy, then you can go back to what I shared earlier in, in talking about your past failures. And that's now going to create an atmosphere that when you talk about your past failures with one another, how you've hurt them, how, how they've hurt you, then it's going to be safe to to be able to do that in, okay? So action number one, deal with past hurts and failures. Don't let it go. Number two, choose a winning attitude, okay? Choose a winning attitude. How many have ever read the book, um, The Five Love Languages? How many, has, how many of you have read that book all the way through? So a third of you guys have um, it's a really good book. There's some, I'm going to hit on a few things tonight, but in all honesty, it's pretty, it's, 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 it's eye-opening. Uh, it'll help you see things and understand each other way better. Because a lot of times when we don't get this, we're like, I'm doing this and this and this for her, or I'm doing this and this for him, and I, it's still not enough or whatever. Well, what you're doing's not wrong. It's just that you're not doing what they need. So we've got to be able to we've got to be able to understand that. So that's why this this third this third aspect this third part is so important, and that's learning to speak your spouse's love language. So uh, let's just talk about this a little bit here tonight. But nothing holds more potential for changing or sustaining the season of your marriage than learning the truth about love. And the truth about love is that God designed every one of us to be loved. It's in us. We need love. We're called to give love. But a lot of times, not all the time, all the time, a lot of us receive love and give love differently. So we've got to understand this. Every spouse has an emotional love tank. Like I, I tell people when I'm meeting with them as couples, like, you know, you got to look at your love like a bank account. Like every day is going to make a withdrawal. When you wake up in the morning, boop, there's going to be a withdrawal. Life's going to withdraw from it. So you got to be depositing into it. But we've got to be depositing into it um, 
with our, with our spouse is a love language, okay? So every spouse has an emotional love tank. Um, when, when, we, when we feel, when, we feel when, that, when that is being filled and we feel loved, life is beautiful. But when our love tank is empty, it, 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 it's going to affect every area of our life. Emotionally, our job, stuff with our children, events we go to, it, just, it weighs on us. So this is so important. But this is the neat thing that we need to learn about one another. And Lori and I, Lori and I learned this. I'll kind of use us as some examples here in a little bit. But people are different. Your spouse is different from you. What makes one person feel loved will not necessarily make another person feel loved. Um, they're all good. It's all good, but it's not always what that person needs or it's not always what we really need, what really fills our love tank up, okay? So by nature, we tend to express love to others in the way that we want them to express love to us. What's my love language? Someone tell me what's my love language. Anybody? Nope. 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 Huh? No. You guys went all through all four. So what's left? Do I touch you or what? I cannot walk by someone without touching them. If I go to Miss Robin, I'm going to lay my hand on her. I'm a hugger. I receive love. That I'm just a toucher. I hug guys. I'm just a big old cuddly bear. I just like to touch people. That's how I receive love. That's how I'm made. It's how I'm made. Right. And so now my wife will talk about hers a little bit later. Now, you guys hit on some things. Now, words of affirmation is not strong in me. I do that with people necessarily just as a as past as a pastor. But probably probably my primary love language is physical touch. I just I need to be touched. I need to be touched. Lori knows that for driving down the road. Put your phone down. Hold my hand. Do something. Touch me. I need to know that you're there. Right, and hers is going to be completely different. Probably my second one would be um, would be acts of service, just because I'm built that way. And we we all receive and need all five of these. We all do, but there's always a primary and a secondary love language that if they're not being met, our love tank isn't being filled up. We're missing something. So we need to learn and know each other's love languages. So so we're gonna we're gonna talk about these. Okay. And again, something to keep in mind is, is um, um, by nature, we tend to express love to others in the way that we want them expressed to us. So my, mine is physical touch. So I can physically touch Lori all the time and she enjoys it. And she like, well, probably not all the time, but most of the time I think she enjoys it and likes it. Sometimes I'm probably just getting on her nerves, but yet, but that's what I need. I, we, so we give what we need a lot of times and we wonder like, why, why are they upset with me? Why, why, why aren't they happy? Why, why didn't they enjoy that or whatever that might be kind of thing. So we've got to learn these things. So, um, so when our spouse doesn't respond positively to our expression of love, then we get frustrated. Again, the problem isn't the sincerity of our love. The problem is that we're speaking the wrong love language. So we need to figure this out. This is so important. Amen? So we need to learn to intentionally speak our spouse's love language, and we can't speak it if we don't know what it is. So we need to figure this out. Pray for the Lord to help you help you give what your spouse needs. Um, okay? Pray for the Lord to help you in that. Okay. Um, so let's let's walk through the five love language. Let me hit that just real quick. 
There are a lot of people that their love language is physical touch, and there's a lot of people that marry that person that their very, very last bottom of the list love language is physical touch. And that's what their spouse needs. So how do we deal with that? How do we, how do we, how do we cross that? How do we, how do we cross that bridge a little bit? Because it's possible. God put you together. Everything that we have is, is in us. So we need to identify it. And then we can never just, we can never just say, you know what? You just got to figure that out in your life because I'm not a, I'm not a touchy feely person, huggy, lovey, dovey. So you just need to deal with that. You and God need to deal with that. No, God put you in their life for him to put that through you and into them, and he can do that. You can grow. So all of these things, whatever our, our spouse's primary love language is, God can help us grow into that and bring those things into balance, okay? So let's deal with this in the next 10 minutes. I could, I could pretty much take a whole month and just teach on the five love languages, so I'm just going to just hit this in a general. And I want you to begin to think about what's your love language and what's your spouse's love language? How many of you know right now, before I even start, what your spouse's love language is without even question? Does anybody know? So a third of the class be like, without a doubt, I know what it is. So we're going to figure this out. Okay, ready? So, the, so one, is, one is words of affirmation. Okay? This, this, hands down, by far, is Lori's primary love language. I already said mine was physical touch. Now, you might think, Pastor Scott, that's real easy for you then. No, it's not. Because I'm a, I'm a big talker whenever I'm teaching or whenever I'm preaching, when the anointing's on me to minister the word or this or that or what have you. But outside of that, I'm, I'm, I'm a hermit. I don't have a lot of words. I don't like to use a lot of words. And my wife needs words. There's some conflict there. So I have to allow, seek God, allow God, help me, God, because I know how I feel about her. I want, I want everything that she needs me to say to her. Hundred, hands down, I feel that way, but I didn't always know how to, how to express them. But this is, this is Lori's love language. It's, it's, your, it's your spoken praise. It's your, it's your spoken appreciation and love for them. It's your words of love, right? Words of affirmation, just constantly pouring into them. That's how I could buy, I could buy Lori a million gifts, Expensive gifts, cheap gifts, one a day, five a day, whatever. She's going to appreciate them, like some of them, but her love tank, like what she needs to be full, full, is not ever even going to be close to being met if I'm not learning how to give her words of affirmation on a regular basis. Amen? And I'm still learning that. I'm still learning it. But I, that's her. That's her. You, want to, you want to love on Lori? Words of affirmation. Send her a text, words of information. Send her a card, call her, tell her face to face. It'll her her love tank will go like it'll fill up just like that with you. Amen. All right, me. Yeah, no, don't ever. Yeah, it's, well, me. Give me a hug. Just give me a hug. Touch me. Whatever. Put your hand on my shoulder, Pastor Scott. I love you. Like that. We're good. Okay. All right. Um, here we go. You guys good? We could talk a long time about words of affirmation. I feel like you guys got it, but I'm just, so I'm just, 
I'm just laying this out there to kind of get you hungry and to go buy the book because I don't recommend a lot of books, but if you don't have it, this is a phenomenal. He goes into so much more detail about each of them. So the second, the second love language is acts of service. It's doing things for them and, and with them. Um, it's letting them rest sometimes while you're, while you're doing the dishes. Hey, let me take care of that for you, blah, blah, blah. I, I, this is my secondary one. Okay, so so we we have a big yard with ten thousand trees. That's exaggerative. Uh, gumballs and leaves. I'm constantly picking stuff up in my yard. And Lori doesn't do a whole lot of yard work. I don't want her to do. She doesn't mow the grass. I've just always done that and weed eated. And um, but every now and then I'll be out there working. She'll be doing her stuff in the house, and then. I'll look out there, and she'll be out there with the wheelbarrow, and she'll be picking up sticks with me. And I just love it. I'm like, man, thank you, right? It's just like a little kiss. So it's that. It's that. It's Again, it's acts of service, um, doing things, coming home, knowing they've had a busy week, and maybe it's doing the laundry and folding it, whatever, um, taking care of things uh, that need to be taken care of. But the, the gist of it is you're serving. You're serving them. And so acts of service. Um, again, I, I talked about this, but... Uh, you can you can buy them gifts every day, but if this is their love language and you're not doing uh, anything to serve them, they're not going to feel love. Acts of service is a big one for a lot of people. Does anyone in here know that your primary love language is acts of service? Acts of service, yeah. Now, is that your love language? That's what you need? Okay, because usually what we need is what's easiest for us to give, Okay. All right, so that's kind of a good way to, to look at it. Okay, so acts of service. Um, receiving gifts. Typically doesn't, it's not about money to these people. It's not about what it is. It's, it's, it's uh, simply, uh, um, um, it, it's the thought and the intentionality behind it. This is, what, this is what makes them feel most deeply loved. Little things mean a lot to a person with this primary love language of receiving gifts. Let me help you. If you're wondering if your spouse's primary love language is, is, uh, is, is receiving gifts, do they give a lot of stuff away? If they buy a lot of stuff for a lot of people and they're always giving gifts and that's just their expression and they're surprising people with little things here or there or whatever all the time, then it's either going to be their own primary or secondary love language is receiving gifts, okay? The fourth one is quality time. This would be Lori's, this would be Lori's second uh, primary love language is quality time. So it's giving them your undivided attention. It's not just being in the same room. Um, it's, it's, it's looking at, it's listening to, and it's interacting with. It's quality time. This is Lori's quality time, quality time. So the two that she needs are the two most difficult ones for me to give sometimes. I'm not a man of words, and I like to be busy. I'm doing stuff all the time. I always got things. So, but I've learned how to do this. I've learned how to just sit with her, be with her. And I, I, I do desire this one a lot. Like when I'm with her, when, I, when we're together, uh, then I, I do want her attention. So I can tap into this. It is offensive to me sometimes when we're together and I'm on, her fo- I'm on my phone or maybe she's on her phone. I'm like, what are we doing? We're here together kind of thing, right? Um, another way that I've done this is I absolutely loathe entirely going to the grocery store. I loathe it. I pray before I go there. I do. 
And I always have a whole lot of things that I can be doing. But I'm grateful for my wife that goes grocery shopping. And so every now and so often, and actually quite a bit, and I know she's going, whatever, I'll be like, okay, I'm going to go with you. I have no idea what she's doing. I don't know where anything is at. I'm just going to push the cart, and if it's heavy, I'll lift it. And none of that really matters. The only thing that matters to my wife is she knows that I don't want to be there, but I want to be with her. And it's quality time. It's little things like that. You guys with me? Okay. So the last one is physical touch. And um, physical touch, it's everything from a hug when you, when you walk in the door to putting your hand on their, on their shoulder as you walk by to holding hands to kisses to putting your hand on their leg as you're driving down the road. They just need you to be touching them a lot. Amen? How many of you, how many of you your love language is physical touch like mine? Is that it? No, you, some of you guys are lying. Some of you are like, no, I'm not. Don't touch me. <laughs> and this is important. It's important that we learn. Isn't that amazing, though? Because me, I have to have that. I have to have that. I have to. I need it. God made me that way. And then some of you are like, I don't need that very often at all. That's the beauty, and that's why we need to understand it. If not, if not, then we don't think our spouse loves us because they don't need the same thing that we need. Something's wrong with Lori if she doesn't need to be touched all the time, right? And the truth is nothing's wrong with Lori and nothing's wrong with me. We both just have different love languages and we need to learn how to meet them. So this fifth one is physical touch. It's all this stuff um, to holding hands. Again, putting your hand on the leg, driving the road. It's physical. It's, it's to sexual intimacy. And, but nothing communicates love more to them than your touch. Nothing communicates more to them your love than their touch. I know Lori loves me. I love her words of affirmation. I like gifts. I could gifts don't really do much for me, but I appreciate them. I appreciate the gesture. It's always meaningful. I didn't mean that. I mean it's always meaningful. But um, but nothing Nothing communicates her love to me more than her touch. Amen? It's how I made it. It's a beautiful thing. So we'll finish with this. It's eight, but learn, learn their love language. Learn how, to, learn how to give them their love language. And don't let it be overwhelming. Ask God to help you. I, I, I do counseling. I'll have one in here in my office, and they're, they're, this is their love language, and they're, they're, they do not understand why their, their husband or wife doesn't want to touch them, doesn't want to be with them as much as they do, this or that or whatever. And then I've got this one, and theirs is this one, and the other person's just the opposite. Like, how are we going to bridge this gap? You know what? God, God, he'll help you become affectionate. Now, you might not be like me, <laughs> Or like your spouse, if physical touch is theirs, or whatever that it is. But I promise you that if, if, if there's nothing that I don't want to give Lori that she needs and desires. 
That's my heart for her. So whatever that she needs that might be difficult for me, I know that God can stir that up in me, that he can help me, that he can put that longing in me, that he can put that gifting in me. And so learn, learn, learn your spouse's love language. Learn your love language. Make sure you commute them. Uh, I, I, would, I would encourage you to make sure that both of you know your primary and your secondary love languages, that you talk about them together so that there's no question. Amen? And then you together begin to pray and ask the Lord to help you, help you fulfill your spouse's love language. Help me, God. Help me recognize it. Give me the words to give my wife, Lord. Help me learn how to not just be with her, but help me learn how to give her quality time. Because I can be with her and not be there. I can do that pretty easily. Like I can be there, but I'm not there. Kind of like how I'm walking down the road with her sometimes and then she'll just stop and she'll be like, we're not moving any further until you get with me, until you lift your head up and like whatever kind of world you're trying to solve right now, right, let's be together, right? And I'm like, okay, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Isn't it awesome? Isn't God so good? Isn't marriage awesome? It is such a powerful blessing. It, we want it to be full. I want your marriage to be full. I want it overflowing with the glory and the prayer. I want your love tanks to like, I want you to be mushy, gushy, ooey, gooey, and people just like, egg when they see you guys. Come on. Lord, I thank you for this class. I thank you for these men and women of God. I thank you for every husband. I thank you for every wife. I thank you for every marriage. I thank you for those here tonight, God, that even as we speak these things, their hearts might be hurting because they know that their love tank is empty. If it's not empty, it's low. Maybe they're sitting here tonight, God, and they know, man, I desire this, I desire, I need this from my spouse. Maybe it's not coming there. Whatever it may be, God, I just pray that you comfort them. I pray that you strengthen them. I pray that you help them to put these things that we learned tonight in place, God, and they begin to just pour into their spouse what their spouses need, God. I pray that you help us recognize and learn these love languages and learn how to Learn how to choose a winning attitude, God, and learn, learn, help us, God, to learn how and to walk through and uh, to deal with the things in our past and not just let them go, God. Help us learn how to do this rightly. I just bless every family. I bless every husband and every wife. And I, again, God, I just pray your favor. I pray your anointing. I pray your fullness over them, God, and that you just, you just flood them with your presence and your joy and love in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Thank you for joining us this week. Until next time, 